Father, that's why we come to you each week. We come to your word knowing that you're the God who carries us through. You're the God who, who watches over us, and you're the God who guides us each step of the way. And so we, we need that guidance from you uh, to know how to live in, in this season of life that we're in. And so, Father, we do pray that you would meet us here and that you'd speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us, that any of the things that may distract us from hearing you, that you'd shove them off to the side and that you'd just clearly speak to each one of us. Give us guidance, give us direction, and give us hope. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. We've got, counting this message, we've got two more. So next week is our last week with Habakkuk, and then we'll be entering into the season of Lent already, which seems really early, but I don't know if it's actually that early, but it just, I wasn't ready for Lent, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So we've got this week and next week, and this is, again, this is um, Habakkuk responding to God in prayer. There's a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shigionoth. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His Splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows. At the lightning, your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us.
So um, right after we moved here, um, I had to get a physical in order to be evaluated for, for life insurance, right? They have to make sure you're I don't know, you're worthy to get life insurance? I don't know. But anyways, they got to make sure, they got to figure out your health situation before they do this. And so as the nurse was kind of checking me out, she noticed that my blood pressure was a little high. And so she asked, well, is your blood pressure normally high? And I said, no. Um, But I did just move my family to a new state and a new community and got a new job. And she kind of laughed and said, that'll do it. (laughs) And, uh, and it was funny because shortly after that, I don't remember what book it was I was reading, or, uh, but I was reading in a book and it said that actually moving is one of the most stressful events of your life. And, uh, and so it, it, you start to ask, what is it about moving that, that's so stressful? You might think it's, it's not really a big deal. And, and there's numerous reasons why moving can be stressful, but there's really one underlying issue with why moving is so stressful. Um, It it forces you to enter into what I'm going to call the the neutral zone. Um, Some people use a fancier word word and call it a liminal space, Um, but I'm just going to call it a neutral zone. And, And a neutral zone is this space in life where you've kind of left behind what you know and what you've what you're comfortable with, but you still haven't found anything to grab hold of in a new space. And, and so people kind of help us understand that by using the analogy of a trapeze. You see a trapeze artist, they're, they're grabbing hold of a bar, and they swing, and they let go, and then they hang there for a little while before they grab hold of something else. And that point where you're kind of hanging in midair is that neutral zone, that that kind of liminal space that we find ourselves in. And it's a very uncomfortable place to be because everything where you found stability and comfort has been kind of removed, and now you're in a new place, you haven't found any of that. And so it becomes really uncomfortable, and you, like, if you you imagine the trapeze artist, even though they've done it 150 million times, there's got to be a point every time where they're floating in midair going, Am I actually going to grab hold of anything? Or am I going to fall and, and get hurt or even fall and die? And so what happens when we get into these kind of spaces, we, we get uncomfortable and then we start just, we do, we have a couple temptations. One is you just want to turn and you want to run back to wherever you came from because that was comfortable. Or you just start grabbing hold of everything you can, trying to form some kind of stability. And, and it's why it says during these times, these times are filled with anxiety, they're filled with fear, frustration, because things just aren't working the way we want them to work. And even what's common is just lack of motivation, because you kind of just feel like, what's the point? And so, but you take all of that and start to apply that um, to our current situation that we're living in just culturally right now. Um, like, we're in a neutral zone. We're in a liminal space right now, right? Like, the, the COVID pandemic came in, and be, because of uh, the virus itself and because of policies kind of going around it, it, it forced us to move, right? We, we had to move. We had to do things differently. We had to kind of get rid of things that we held dear and that we found very comfortable, but we actually haven't found anything to grab hold of quite yet. It's kind of 
like saying, the old has passed away, but the new has not yet come. And we kind of feel just like we're floating here. I felt people say, it feels like maybe we're not floating, but we're like stuck in mud. We're just trying to like pull our feet out, trying to go somewhere. We just can't do something because we're just kind of stuck. Grab hold of stability, but we can't. And so we look around and we say, do we have a lot of fear going on? Yes. Do we have a lot of anxiety going on? Yes. Is there a lot of frustration going on? Yes. Is there somewhat of a lack of motivation going on? Yeah. Because we're all just kind of going, I don't know what's coming ahead of us. We've lost all of this. We're here, and I don't know what's coming ahead. And the question is, how do you live in that moment? And kind of these, these neutral zone points of life. And that's what our passage is talking about this morning. He, he doesn't call it a liminal space, and he doesn't call it a neutral zone. He says, in the midst of the years. And, uh, and when you read that, you say, okay, what years is he talking about? In the midst of, of what years? And, and if you kind of look back on what we've been talking about throughout the book of Habakkuk, he's really spoken about two major events. The first major event is when Israel is going to be judged for their wickedness, right? Babylon's going to come in and, and judge Israel. And then last week we talked about how God said, but eventually Babylon's going to have their day and Babylon's going to be judged as well. And so those are the two years. Now, how do you live in between those two years? How is Israel to live when Babylon has come in, um, destroyed their nation, They've lost everything they once held dear and pulled them out and hauled them away to live in a foreign land. I mean, talk about living in a, in a neutral zone. Not doing it by choice, but being forced to just kind of ripped out of your country and placed in a new, in a new society, trying to figure out how to live there. And that's what this whole thing is talking about. How do you live in that kind of a moment with kind of nothing to hold on to, not sure what's going to happen in front of you. And, and one, of the, one of the really important things to notice is that this is described, that this whole last chapter isn't described as necessarily a vision, but it's a prayer. And, and it's actually more than just a prayer, right? So it says, it's a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigionoth, or however you pronounce that word. I tried. I got into the Hebrew, and I was like, I can't quite figure it out either. Um, again, ask Don. Um, but, and, and nobody really knows what it is. Like, I read commentary after commentary, and they're like, you know, everybody's got an opinion about what is the Shigiona author. Um, but, but what I did notice is it's, it's used one other time in the Bible. And, and it, it shows up in the Psalms, and it says that David sang. A Shigionoth. And so, what I think we can be fairly confident that what we're about to read in chapter 3 is a prayer and a song. Right? It's a prayer written in the form of a song, which is actually what the Psalms are. When you go through the Psalms, they're prayers and songs, and it's all kind of mixed together. And so that's what we're about to read. But here's why that's important to, to understand. I thought it was really uh, just kind of a profound thing. I, to realize this week. Uh, remember two weeks ago, 
when God said, Habakkuk, I'm about to give you a vision, right? And he told Habakkuk, here's what I want you to do with this vision. I want you to write it down. And I want you to make this vision very clear so that future generations can read it and they'll understand what I'm going to do and then they can go out and tell people about this vision. And so what does Habakkuk do? Okay, I'm going to write it down and I'm going to write it in the form of a prayer song that, that people can pray and sing every day while they're in exile. And you can say that, that what's happening here is that one God's people are now in exile and they're in a place where it feels like they have nothing to hold on to. They're given this prayer song to kind of hold on to in the midst of this and just keep praying every day, saying, here's who you are, Lord. And they just keep going back to that day after day after day. And that's what's going to help kind of pull them through that, that point where they're kind of in that neutral zone. When, when they're tempted to despair, they can, they can get down on their knees and they can pray and sing. When they're frustrated with what's going on, they can get down on their knees and pray and sing. When anxiety think, feels like it's going to overtake them, they can get down on their knees and they can pray and they can sing. And it's the same thing with us, right? As we go through this kind of a neutral zone, but, but throughout life you're going to find multiple neutral zones, right? You're going to change jobs and that's going to disrupt everything. And, you're going to, and, and as we go through these things, it's important to remember we can hold on to prayer and we can hold on to song every day. And, and uh, I'd, John Calvin had mentioned this. I thought it was really, really important. He said, let us bear in mind that the way of fostering true religion prescribed here to the miserable Israelites. He's saying that they feel miserable, not calling them, you know. But anyway, so these Israelites who feel miserable while dispersed in exile, the, the solution was for them to look to God daily. Uh, that they might strengthen their faith. For they could not, that's a typo, they could not have otherwise continued in their obedience to God. Like the only way they were going to make it through the exile, the only way they were going to make it through this kind of neutral zone of their life was to come to God daily, to fix their eyes on Him daily, and to do that through prayer, and to do that through song. Which is why the prayer starts off this way. He says, okay, here's the prayer. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, in this kind of neutral zone, revive it. Revive your works. In the midst of the years, make your works known. And in wrath, remember mercy. And so, at the beginning of this prayer, Habakkuk's coming to God, but he's also teaching He's praying to God, but he's also teaching Israel how to pray to God. And he says, I've heard of your work, Lord. I know what you've done throughout the history of your people. And, and now that we're in this kind of neutral zone, I'm asking you, one, do that work again. But also, make it in the midst of the years, make it known to us. Remind us of the, the works that you've done in the past for your people and in your wrath. Remember mercy, right? Be, be merciful on us, Lord. And so he sets the prayer up that way, and then basically the rest of the prayer is a reminder of what God's works have been throughout all of history. And uh, I, I mean, pretty much every single line of this prayer 
is alluding to and pointing to a different story from the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, we'd be here all day if I wanted to go through every single one of those. So I can't go through every one of them. I would encourage you to go home, read it, and try to figure out which stories they're telling. But we'll look at a few of them. And so he goes from saying, Lord, revive your works, and then remind us of your works. And then he says, and here's one of those works. God came from Taman, a holy one from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Now, there's a lot of different reasons. They're using different words to describe different places. You probably don't know what Taman is. You probably never heard of Mount Perrin. Um, but Mount Perrin is another way to describe Mount Sinai. And, and I'm not going to get into why they use the word Taman. It kind of refers to the south. But, but this is talking about that moment when, when God descended on Mount Sinai in power and, and glory and gave God's people His his Ten Commandments. And, and remember what happened, right? The God's people were, were there. They were at Mount Sinai. God descends in power and glory on the mountain. And God's people say, we're not going up there. <laughs> like, Moses, you go. <laughs> you go talk to him and you come back and you tell us what he says because we're not going. We're, we're afraid of that God. He's powerful and mighty. And so Moses goes, meets with God, But then remember, he comes back down from the mountain, and guess what? His face is shining with the glory of God, right? It talks about this brightness like light, rays flashing. The brightness of Moses' face was shining so powerfully on everybody else. The glory of God reflected off of him that people were freaking out about that. And so Moses had to put a veil over his face to kind of veil the glory of God because they couldn't even handle the glory of God being reflected off of Moses' face onto them. And again, it's a reminder of the power and the might and the glory of our God. And it goes on, it says, This God before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. You hear Egypt. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. And again, you, you, you hear echoes to, to Egypt in there. Um, but the, the really powerful picture I, I got here is he stood and measured the earth. I mean, can you measure the earth? <laughs> like, we, we can't even measure Wisconsin. I mean, I suppose eventually we could figure it out. But, I mean, if, like, if somebody were to tell you, go out and measure Wisconsin... You'd be like, nah. And now we have a picture of, no, our God stands above the earth and says, that big. Right? Like we have this God who is so big that he looks at the earth and says, I can measure it. And we have this God that's so big that he can shake the nations and he can shake the eternal mountains and the everlasting hills, which is just another way of describing the foundations of the earth. He can stand over the earth, he can measure it, but he can also take the foundations of the earth and shake them. Because he's an everlasting God. He put those in place. He put the foundations of the earth in place and he can shake them if he wants to and he can actually remove those foundations if he wants to. He's that big and powerful. 
And one of the interesting things, and you'll see this throughout the Psalms, and you'll see this in this prayer, it begins, he begins talking to God, and then it switches, and then he talks about God for a while. It's all kind of in the third person, right? This is what God did, this is what he did, this is what he did, and then all of a sudden it shifts, and now he's not talking about God anymore, he's talking to God. And he's, so on the one hand, he's remembering God's works, and then he starts talking to God and praising him for his works and saying, you, you, you. And uh, I forget what, I think it was Alistair Begg. You guys hear me, I like Alistair Begg a lot. And he said, that should teach us, we should not long talk about God before we start talking to him. (laughs) And uh, it's a pretty good, pretty good reminder. And so things kind of change and he starts talking to God. He says, the mountains saw you, Lord, and the mountains writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they split at at the flash of your glittering spear. And again, God not only stands over the earth, but the mountains that put us in awe look at our God and they shake and they shiver. And God's in control of the waters and and He can stop the waters. He can part the Red Sea, right, so that His people can go through. But then He can do what? He can make those waters rage again to go back on the Egyptian army and crush them. God can make the sun and the moon stand still win a battle. He's powerful and mighty and, and glorious. It just keeps going over and over. And, and in the midst of all of this, there's kind of one theme that, that traces its way through. It's a theme of salvation. It says, when you rode out on your horses, God, on your chariot of salvation. And, and it says, when you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And, and what we need to remember is as we remember God's power and His might and all of the, the mighty works that He's done, and as we praise God for those mighty works, we need to be reminded that He did those powerful works for the salvation of His people. That's what, I mean, why did God come in in power on Mount Sinai to bring salvation to His people? Why did, why did God bring plagues and, and pestilence on Egypt? Well, to bring salvation to His people. Why did God part the Red Sea so His people could go through and then bring it crashing down on Egypt? To bring salvation to His people. And how all of this applies is that this is what we're being told is, is really important as we live in these, in these kind of neutral zones of life. When we feel like we don't have anything to hold on to, we need to kind of remember the powerful works of God and remember the powerful ways that He's brought salvation to His people. And, and I want to elaborate on that. I want to share kind of in the, in the heart of this passage being a song, I want to share some lyrics um, to one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite bands that I, you probably have never heard of. They're called the Grey Havens. They're kind of an obscure band, but go listen to them. If you like kind of folksy music with good theological lyrics, these guys are really good. Um, but anyways, they have this song called Take Things, Let's Take This Slowly, and, and they're saying the same thing that this passage is. So I'm just going to read the whole song's about it, 
Um, but we'll just look at the first part of the song. And it's talking about the situation where he's lost everything. He says, if I took all that I got, spread it out on this table, it might not seem like a lot. A once glimmering joy slowly fading from view. All this change in my pockets, not enough. And this picture of you, right? So he just kind of lost everything. Um, Still I've heard all that I have in this moment. It's hardly a sign of everything coming my way. I believe when I need it, it will be mine. And then the chorus, oh, disappeared. Well, you'll have to listen to me. So here's the chorus. So let's take this slowly. All I need is coming, but it's just beyond what I can see. So if my eyes press forward in fierce alarm, just turn my head back to see, to see how we got this far, and I'll be all right. And the, and the point of the song is we, we get into these kind of neutral zones and we feel like we've kind of lost everything and we're, we're looking forward fiercely, hoping to see something better on the horizon and we can't see it yet. We can't grab a hold of it yet. And we keep looking, hoping that it's going to come. And he says, actually, take a moment, stop. Stop looking ahead. Turn around, look back at how you got to where you are and you'll realize that your God has brought you there. And then you go, I'll be all right. Because the same God that brought me here is the same God that will bring me there. And I'll be okay. And so this passage is telling us the same thing. You, you end up being uprooted from your home and placed in a foreign country. You don't know where you're going. You, you feel like you've got nothing left to hold on to. And it says just stop. Look back. Remember the powerful ways that God has worked to bring salvation to His people. He's delivered them out of terrible, despairing, hopeless situation time after time after time after time after time. And that same God is the same God that's carrying you right now in this situation. And you'll be all right. And and you get in this moment, and not only that, you can look at story after story through the Old Testament, but you should. I guarantee you, if you stop for a moment, look back on your life, you will find them. Moments where God has pulled you through a helpless situation, pulled you through a time of despair, a time that you thought, I cannot get through this, and all of a sudden, God pulled you through to the other end. And you can look back and say, he, he did it there, He will do it now. I'll be alright. And then you grab hold of your God. And, and that's, really, that's really how Habakkuk kind of ends this, this passage. He's, he's, he's really honest about how he's feeling, right? He doesn't say, I'm fine, got no problems. He actually says, no, I hear what's about to happen. And what he's hearing is not, it's what's about to happen to Israel, but it's also just remembering the mighty power of God, right? When, when we actually truly understand the power of God, it should cause us to shake a little bit. It happens throughout history, and it should do the same to us. So he, he hears that. He said his body trembles, but also the fear of what's about to happen, that Israel is going to be overtaken by Babylon. He said, my, my body trembles. My, my lips are quivering at the sound, and rottenness enters into my bones, and my legs are trembling beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And he says, 
yeah, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> I know I'll be all right. I'm trusting in my God. He's, I know he's going to get me through this, but I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> like, I'm shaking. Like, I feel like my bones are falling apart. My, I don't think I can stand anymore. I have no strength. But I will wait because God will deliver us. He will, trouble will come upon the people who are judging us and we will be saved. He will bring salvation to us once more. And so I'll wait. And so he says in that moment, right, he looks back, remembers all of these powerful works of God throughout history, how they bring salvation. And he said, and I'll wait for that same God to do that for us again in his perfect timing. He didn't know how long it was going to be. And that's the faith that we've been talking about throughout this entire book. Remember, Hebrews 11 says, faith is assurance of things hoped for. So here we see Habakkuk saying, God has said he will save his people. I've watched him save his people over and over again. And I have assurance that God will save his people again in this moment. So I'll wait for him to do that. And I will trust him. Hebrews 11 says, faith is conviction of things unseen. And Habakkuk says, I'm, I'm trembling. I'm, my lips are quivering because I don't see that deliverance. All I see is trials and, and trouble ahead of me. And yet I know that God has delivered his people over and over again. And so even though I can't see it, my faith will give me conviction that God will do it again. And so he says, I will wait. God will deliver us. It will happen. I don't doubt it. He's done it over and over again, and I will trust him. And so he waits, right, in, in this neutral zone, and he keeps his eyes on, on God. And, and like I said at the beginning, right, we, we get ourselves into these kind of neutral zones, and our temptation is, we have two temptations. One is to kind of run back to where we were comfortable, and the other is to try to create our own comfort in an unhelpful way where we're at, right? So, so you move to another state or country and you spend the first month or so, probably, dreaming about how great it was back where you were before, right? Man, I wish I could go back there. It was so much better, right? Like, Egypt, like Israel in the wilderness. Can't we go back to being slaves? It was so much more comfortable, You know, we, we're doing that now, too. Uh, we all feel that in, in the midst of COVID. Like, like when are things going to get back to normal? When can we get back to how they used to be when I was really comfortable? Or we try to create things to bring us comfort that aren't supposed to be comfort, right? Like Israel in the wilderness, built idols, trying to find comfort, try to bring Egypt with them. You move to a new place, you start maybe diving into new routines and relationships that you shouldn't be, just trying to find some form of stability. And, and I think it was maybe like two weeks into kind of the COVID shakeup that we heard everybody talking about the new normal. And I thought, we're just trying to build our own comfort structures. We're trying to just grab hold of things because we don't like the unknown. We don't like being uncomfortable. And this passage says we're actually not supposed to do either. We're not supposed to try to run back to where we were comfortable. We're not supposed to try to build our own kind of hasty comfort structures. We're just 
to wait in faith and, and trust our God. We're called to be patient in these moments by faith. And then, and then while we wait and, and while we're patient, we, we grab hold of our God because He's all we have to grab hold of because everything else has been stripped away. And we grab hold of our God and then we, we trust Him and we say, I will wait for you to work. And then while we do that, we pray and we sing and we look back and we say, okay, God, I remember that you pulled your people out of Egypt. I remember the way you provided for them in the wilderness. And I know eventually you brought them to the promised land. That will happen. I trust you. You're the same God back then. So leave me now. I trust you. And, and we praise God and we look back on our life and we say, I saw how you carried me through this move. I saw how you carried me through this illness. I thought, saw how you carried me through this trial. We say, okay, God, you're the same God who's working in me now. I trust you. And we find stability in our God. Not in all these other things that can be shaken and removed. And then we trust him. And we pray to him. And we sing to him. And we praise him. And we rest in him. Knowing that he has delivered his people in the past. He's delivered us in the past. And he will deliver us again in this moment. In his perfect timing, which is probably not as quickly as we ever like. But it will come. And so we, we trust him. Let's come to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for the repeated reminders throughout Scripture of your power and your might and your glory and how all of those are pointed at love for your people. Father, we're, we're thankful that we can have that confidence and hope in the midst of so much uncertainty. And Father, we do come to you and confess that so often we, we don't deep down believe that you're working for our good and we get anxious and frustrated and fearful and try to create our own comfort and create our own idols and, and don't fully trust you. And so, Father, we do ask you would forgive us in those moments. Forgive us for trusting in ourselves and not trusting in you. And Father, we pray that, that you'd not only forgive us, but that you would begin to work in our hearts through your Spirit and that, that you continue to strengthen our faith in these moments and draw us closer to you that we could live each day trusting in you more fully and that you would give us strength to, to patiently wait in these neutral zone times, trusting that You've saved us in the past, and you will save us in the future, and so we, we trust you. So, Father, seal that upon our hearts. Our, our prayer is that we do believe, but we ask you to help our unbelief. Strengthen our faith, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.